Good morning, Community of Grace. It's good to be with you. It's good to be with a few people in the room this morning, too. What a delight it is to be joining you. This fall, fall is here, and we're stepping into the new things that God has for us. And let me start this morning by reading a passage of Scripture to you from Psalm chapter 102. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. So much is changing. So much has already changed and just continues to change. We've changed the way we worship, obviously. (laughs) We've changed again this fall to try some new things, but so much else has changed too. The way people are working has changed. Some people are commuting to work less, and they're doing telecommuting, doing their work at home, and, and people have adapted to that. We've changed the way we're doing school this fall, hybrid learning, part time in class, sometimes out of class, social distance within the same room. We've changed the way we eat. We've changed the way we've shopped. There's so much that has changed. And when you're in the midst of so much changing, we look to our unchanging God. And that's why we started a sermon series this fall to take us through the month of September called Unchanging. We want to look at the unchanging characteristics of God, the things that stay steady, they're firm ground for us beneath our feet, a firm foundation laid before us in a God who is unchanging. Now, there's a fancy theological term for unchanging. It's called immutability. And within that word, you'll hear the word mute, mutant. And uh, anybody who's a, you know, a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or uh, a fan of the X-Men and knows what a mutant is, you know, those are things that change, Right? A change from one thing into something else. God is immutable. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's good news for us. That gives us something we can trust, a place that we can look when everything around us is shifting and changing. So over the next three weeks, we want to look at some unchanging characteristics of our unchanging God. And today we're going to look at one in particular We're going to talk today about God's unchanging mission. God has an unchanging mission, and it's declared for us all throughout the words of Scripture, from the narrative in the very first chapters of Genesis all the way through to its completion at the end of Revelation. We have a God of mission, the Missio Dei, A missional God, a God who sends, a God who moves, a God who is active and pursuing us. This is a powerful image and something we hold to, knowing that God's mission is the same from the beginning to the end. You want to hear something about this mission? Well, let's talk about this mission. What is God's mission? Well, God's mission can be summarized in Isaiah chapter 43. Verses 19 through 21, a beautiful picture of what God is up to. Listen to these words. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. 
The wild animals honor me and jackals and the owls because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. God will always have a people. And right from the beginning in Genesis, God forms a people from the dust of the earth. He creates the male and female. Mankind, he calls them, and he declares them good. And he places them within a garden and says, this is all wonderfully good. And he wants to be with his people in his creation. It says that God was walking in the coolness of the day in the garden. Walking, that means feet on the earth with his creation, with his people. That's God's desire, is to be with his creation, to sustain us, to encourage us, to be in relationship with us. And we know how that worked out. <laughs> Not so good. We wound up breaking relationship and breaking fellowship with God and needing to depart from that place of creation that God made for us. So all the way through now, God is still pursuing that goal and that purpose in his mission. His mission is to be with his people in his creation, a people called by, him, by his own, a people called of his own, his people. That's God's desire. Shows up in Abraham and in Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and David, and right on through the prophets, we see this God who is pursuing his people, wanting to reconcile them, wanting to heal them, and bring them back into relationship with him. And that moves right on into Jesus. Jesus himself. What does Jesus come to do? What is Jesus as part of this mission? He lays it out pretty clearly in Luke 19, verses 9 through 10, when he says this. Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Seeking to save the lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means you don't know where you are. You don't know who you're with. Isn't that the picture of what happened to us in leaving the garden? We lose our identity. We lose companionship and relationship with the God who created us. And we lose our sense of place. Where do we belong in this world? Where are we meant to be? It's not as it should be. Jesus comes to rescue us from ourselves, to seek us out, to find us, and to call us back into relationship to make the perfect way for us to have relationship with him. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So God's unchanging mission continues on through Jesus, but then it's not done yet. God sends the Son in Jesus to come and proclaim the kingdom of God that is here to declare that he has come to seek and save sinners like us, people like you and me, people who are lost. And he finds us again and again and again in our lostness. Thank you, Jesus. But he's not done. See, Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for our sins. And then he was resurrected on the third day. 
And then from there, he ascended into heaven. But before he did that, he sent someone else, another person of the Trinity. And we hear that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you hear the common theme? The God who sends, the God who is in mission, the God who is seeking a people of his own, that they might proclaim his praise, that they might bear witness to who God is and how good he is and his desire for us to be in relationship with us within his creation. The mission hasn't changed. It's been the same all the way through. The mission hasn't changed. And now there is purpose. There is a person in Jesus Christ who we have witnessed in his word and in our lives. And then there's the power to move forward in this mission given by the Holy Spirit and empowerment to become those people whom God sends. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. And the Spirit sends you and me sends us out to continue on this rescue mission, to be a part of that mission. Those whom he has called into and, and restored back into relationship with himself, he calls them to be ambassadors and missionaries to keep going out and doing that work of bringing God close, reminding people of his goodness and his faithfulness and his love and his forgiveness through Jesus. So there's a purpose and a person and a power for God's mission. And then God's mission has one more thing. You ready for this? God's mission has a church. God's mission has a church. Now that might sound a little strange to your ears. I mean, we've got a mission statement on the wall for our church, right? So that's the mission of the church, right? Our church has a mission. It's that part over there to, to be and make disciples of Jesus. So the church has a mission, but that makes the mission way too small because the reality of it is is that God's mission was in place long before the church. God's mission was there from the very beginning. His mission is there reconciling and drawing us close to himself all the way through the narrative of Scripture. And in the end, the Holy Spirit is poured out on people like you and me to empower us to keep doing the mission. The mission has a church. The mission has a church. But so often we forget what the mission is. We lose track and we lose sight. Reminds me of this story. It's a story that some of you may have heard before. It's a parable, but I want to read it to you today. So listen along. If you've heard it before, bear with me. If you haven't, just listen closely. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives 
were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated beautifully and furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service, but most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them looked different, and some of them spoke strange languages, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club. And yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters. Only now most of the people drown. Folks, when we think of the church as having a mission, it's really easy for the church to put that mission out there somewhere. We go and we find missionaries to go do mission out there. And then we'll do programs and we'll do services and, and we'll do all those other things that stack up and we'll, we'll put aside a little slice to be able to go and, and do missions. Like to the people overseas or the people in Mexico or even the people in downtown St. Paul. We, we set up to, to do little missions out there. Friends, that's what happens when we lose sight of the fact that God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And the mission has to take priority. But the problem is we want to keep the church and change the mission. That's our tendency. Mine, as well as every church that I've been a part of. We want to keep the church and change the mission when the reality of it is we must change the church to keep the mission. 
You see, while the mission never changes, God's church has to always be changing. There was a, a saying that came out back in the time of a guy named Martin Luther. You may have heard of him. About 500 years ago, during something called the Reformation, and they came up with a phrase, and it had a fancy Latin term that I don't normally remember, but I, I, I'll just tell you what it said. Basically, it said this, the church is always reforming. The church doesn't just get reformed, like there was a Reformation 500 years ago, and then it was all done. No, the church has to constantly be reformed. Over and over and over again, the reforming of the church is a changing of the church. It's coming into a new form. It's a transformation. But let's be serious here, folks. If transformation is going to happen, it has to happen in me and in you. And that's good because we are the church. And if we've learned anything, I hope, during this season of challenge and this season of COVID and this season of, of change and, and, and strangeness and challenge, if we've learned anything, I hope we've learned that the church is the people and not the building. I hope we've learned that. Because while it is a joy to have some people in the building here today, don't get me wrong, Love being together with God's people. But you know what? We've been together with God's people all summer long. It just wasn't inside the building. It was out on the lawn. Or it was virtually. Or it was in small groups and Bible studies, meeting in all sorts of different ways, still being the church, but figuring out what the mission of the church is, which is the fact that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. So wherever those people gather, they are on mission. Everything we do is mission. Everything. Whether it's a, a, a mission of serving one another in love, whether it's a, a mission of growing in community so that others can become a part of that community, whether it's a mission of seeing the needs of our neighbors and reaching out to love them with the love of Jesus and then seeing their lives transformed because when their lives are transformed as a part of the church, the church is transformed again and again and again and again and again with each subsequent generation until Jesus comes back. We must change the church to keep the mission. So let me ask a really hard question. Does God's mission have this church? Does God's mission have this church? I think we should always be asking that question. Always honestly putting ourselves before Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is your church and you have a mission. Are we your church for your mission, Lord? Does your mission have this church? Has it captured this church? Has it captured our imagination? Has it shaken us enough to be willing to, to go wherever and do whatever is necessary to keep being missional? We have to ask that question. And then we have to trust that the God who is unchanging is still about his purpose. 
And he's still about the person of Jesus Christ who lives and dwells in our hearts. And he is still empowering us through the same Holy Spirit. He has rescued you. He has rescued me. That is the good news. Thank you, Jesus. We've been rescued. We've been brought into relationship with him. His presence is here among us in his creation. Now, it's not fully done yet. The work of bringing us into that relationship is done, but, but the world still isn't the way it should be. People are still lost. People are still separated from God. And without us, that separation can become eternal. God's mission has a church. Does he have this church? Does he have you? Does he have me? Lord, may you have us. We lay ourselves down before you. We lay all our agendas down. We lay down every comfort and convenience that we cling to for ourselves in order to keep the mission at a distance. And instead, Lord, we say we choose the uncomfortable ways, the ways of change. We choose the uncomfortable paths, the ways of discomfort and inconvenience. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. Help me. Because I know I can't do it myself. I know I can't do it in my own strength, or I don't, can't even do it from my own will. I need your will at work in my life and in our lives. Jesus, meet us here today. Transform us, Lord. Keep doing the work. The work that you have done for us now, Lord, continue to do that work in us so that you can do that work through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things today, Jesus. We're praying them to you, Lord. And then we are remembering together, Lord, that missional prayer, that prayer that you gave to your disciples that is all about mission. It's all about living into that mission and sharing that mission with others. And we pray that prayer together now in these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.